so last time we did a James Bond movie, I asked you to kind of like rank your favorite James Bonds. Um, if I asked you to rank your favorite James Bond theme songs, <laughs> where would oh, this one fall? My goodness. It was funny. Uh, it came on. It was very electro pop kind of sound. And then I was like, wait a minute. Is that Madonna? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it turns out it is a Madonna song. Um, and it's an awful, awful intro song in the background. I was going to say, it's not just a bad James Bond song. It's a bad Madonna song. It's just a bad song. I know. Madonna has some excellent pop songs. Yeah. This was not it. I would have much rather the theme for this have been like La Isla Bonita or something. <laughs> like a prayer? I don't know. Oh, man. Oh. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And in case you didn't already know this, we are talking today, we're going back to the James Bond well, the 20th James Bond movie, Die Another Day. Pierce Brosnan. Uh, is this the second or third Pierce Brosnan one? Fourth. It's the last one. Oh, it's the fourth one he made. Okay. It is also what perfect timing because the 25th James Bond movie just around the corner, which will be the last Daniel Craig Bond, I'm pretty sure. So we've got the last movie of the Brosnan era just ahead of the last movie of the Craig era. I don't know, man. Uh, you know, for all the pomp and circumstance around this one, it's kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be on our podcast if it wasn't a bad movie. That's true. Um, so here we are. We're we're going to get into what made it so, right? Absolutely. Um, Before we do, we should probably talk about the beer we're going to be drinking. Of course. And, you know, I feel like the connection for this one pretty strong. What are we drinking today, Noel? So we've got a beer called Don't Die Here. Clear connection with Die Another Day. Uh, very easy. This is from the new Ritual Brewing Company. They're out of Oshawa, Ontario. Uh, they've only been around since May of 2021, so a uh, new place. I've had uh, one or two of their other beers and really, really enjoyed it, so I'm looking forward to this one. You maybe not so much as it's going to be a double IPA. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Fuck, man. Uh, their IPA, which I've had, is really, really smooth, so I'm expecting this one to to be the same. All right, well, I will be trying not to die here as I drink this fucking... <laughs> Let's try it. Wasn't last scene last season mostly lager and pills? That's based. bullshit. It right. wasn't. They, yeah. they leaned a little heavy towards the end. It's fine. <laughs> We're bringing the IPA season two, unfortunately. So after the traditional James Bond gun opening, we pull out to reveal the coast of North Korea and a team of men in full body wetsuits surfing some point break sized waves. Once they reach the shore, they sneak past a beach patrol and set up some satellite equipment that tricks a helicopter into landing nearby. Now, of course, James Bond is uh, one of the three men. And once the helicopter lands, he quickly takes the place and sunglasses and briefcase of the passenger inside. Now, I liked how underneath his wetsuit, he was wearing exactly what that guy was wearing. Like, how would they know that? <laughs> I mean, that's really good intelligence is what I sort of assume. It is hilarious. The surf scene to get into this sort of armored beach in Korea is incredible. You're right. The waves are massive. And wow, can uh, Pierce Brosnan ever surf? Second best surfing scene in the movie. Yes, I know. We're going to no. get just an, <laughs> in a, in an insane surfing scene later. Um, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan. <surf. laughs> um, but yeah, it is funny that he has that exact same outfit on. He takes his place, and you you know that this little James Bond switcheroo is going to lead to an interesting encounter soon. But how, like, okay, does that guy just wear the same outfit every single day, and that's how they know? Do they get a picture of him leaving somewhere, and they're like, quick, let's get to go shopping, get James Bond these clothes? There's no fucking way to have the exact same <laughs> outfit on. It's ridiculous. 
Oh, well, James Bond can do anything, right? So that's going to be a theme of this movie for sure. Yeah. We quickly learn that this helicopter guy has come to North Korea to trade conflict diamonds for weapons. He's dealing with the North Korean general's son, Colonel Moon, who quickly establishes his bad guy credentials by opening up the punching bag he was attacking. And like, there's a guy inside. <laughs> so we know he's bad. Yeah, the guy was his anger therapist, so even oh, better. <laughs> yeah, it took us about four and a half minutes to get our first groaner of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I need a new anger therapist. Goddamn. Uh, <laughs> he comes out to meet Bond along with his henchman, Zhao, who is played by Rick Yoon, fresh off of the first Fast and Furious movie. And despite being in the middle of a delicate operation, Bond can't resist taking a little dig at the colonel. I studied at Oxford and Harvard, majored in Western hypocrisy. From your modest little collection of cars, I would never have guessed. Like, (laughs) he almost blows it right there. Like, what's he doing that for? Oh, he's always got some attitude, right? Bond cannot help it. And he has to sort of make that joke. The colonel does have like 10 Western sports cars sitting there in this military base in the middle of Korea, North Korea, which is kind of strange. But yeah, clearly uh, purchased or imported in or, you know, whatever. But uh, it's a nice collection. It is a nice collection. Anyway, they make the exchange, but what Colonel Moon doesn't know is that Bond has placed some C4 explosives under the diamonds and is planning on blowing him up. Luckily, what Colonel Moon does know, after Zhao uses his cell phone to Google image search Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> is, that <he's, laughs> is that he's actually British secret agent James Bond. So this goes south quickly. Yeah, the sort of technology Zhao uses to determine it is Bond is pretty funny. I think what it does do at that time, though, is indicate that Uh, Moon and Zhao have somebody on the other side, right? They needed some help to identify that was Bond, and it very quickly recognizes it was him. Oh, yeah. Now, Moon treats Mr. Bond to a demonstration of their new tank buster by blowing up his escape chopper and tells his men to kill him. But as we mentioned earlier, he's James Bond, so that obviously isn't going to happen. He blows the C4, which launches a dozen or so diamonds right into Zhao's face and creates enough of a diversion for him to get away. And now he's after the colonel. We got ourselves a hovercraft chase. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this sounds way more exciting than it is. Um, it is interesting. He he talks about the hovercrafts because in Korea, and especially in the area between North and South Korea, there are tons of landmines, right? And he says the hovercrafts are the way to avoid those landmines, and we get that sort of fun chase around uh, landmines. It's and not fun. It's not fun. It's, a, it's lame, man. For some reason, the colonel can't shoot Bond or his hovercraft with a tank buster, despite the fact that the hovercraft has zero lateral movement. <laughs> Um, a, a huge theme in this movie is no one able to shoot Bond, even though they have a million opportunities. And that's in any Bond movie, for sure. I actually thought the chase was kind of funny, but I, I was really annoyed. Well, no, hang on. Funny is different from fun. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It was funny. Um, I was really annoyed at all of the random things exploding for no reason. There was a lot of that in yeah, this scene. Bond shooting landmines up into the air somehow to like take out the hovercrafts that are chasing him. How does he shoot them up into the air that them blowing up? Um, that is actually a thing. So there, Stop it. there are mines that are designed when they're triggered to launch in the air and explode so that they are more likely to kill people. Seriously? Yes. So that oh, is man. actually a factually accurate use of those mines. Well, I'm eating it on this one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's grotesque, of course, right? But it yeah. is interesting. He uses that as a, a way. He uses his gun to shoot those mines and launch them in the air to take out the other hovercrafts. Well, like all those other shots cannot touch him. No, of course not. He eventually gets on the colonel's hovercraft, dodges a flamethrower with an action hero die. The guns that Moon has are hilarious. He's got that flamethrower, that tank buster, rocket launcher gun. He's really loaded out here. They should be able to wipe out a small village, but they can't hit one guy because Pierce Brosnan, like, dives sideways. 
Oh my god. Anyway, he accelerates the uh, hovercraft so hard the colonel gets stuck to the fan on the back and can't get himself free even as it breaks through a wooden fence and plunges over a cliff. Now, in case you were worried, Bond is okay. See, there happened to be a giant bell right by the edge of the cliff, so he was able to jump off and grab the rope hanging down. Saved by the bell, he says, <laughs> which <laughs> Roger Moore famously uh, spoke out against this movie. Like, he thought it was shitty. Yes. Uh, how could he not like that? That's a, like a Roger Moore line through and through. <laughs> so, uh, mission accomplished. Bond Princess. has uh, successfully killed this guy, but he is still in North Korea without an escape vehicle. So he quickly gets captured and tortured during the opening credits, which, as you mentioned, is set to the worst Bond theme ever. Uh, clearly, they gave Madonna just way too much freedom in the recording studio. <laughs> I'm serious, man. Do you think this was on her? Do you think uh, yes. she chose? Was, the, was this kind of the style she was in at this time in her career? Was yes, she doing a lot of it's like music pop? era Madonna, yeah. like the music album. Uh, it's terrible. And at one point, she whispers, Sigmund Freud, analyze this. <laughs> like, I don't, dude. <laughs> I honestly, uh, I actually I honestly, laughed out loud that too. I honestly don't know who's suffering more during uh, these credits, me or Bond. Oh, like yeah, I'm just dying. Uh, <laughs> we said this. All the like ice baths and scorpion yeah. stings. They're they're gotta be better than listening to that song by Madonna. Yeah, at least I get to watch the silhouettes of sexy ladies, even if some of them are fire zombies. <laughs> <laughs> it is no eyes, or yeah. or ice zombies. They are. Yeah, yeah it is strange. Um, I asked you last time if this was in every bonnet intro and i told you it absolutely is sexy lady silhouettes man yeah. mercifully this all ends and we return to bond 14 months later looking like the big lebowski but he <laughs> hasn't cracked he looks like shit but he hasn't cracked the general takes one last shot at getting some info apparently his son had an ally in the west which you alluded to earlier but bond legitimately doesn't know anything about that either way it turns out he's being released kind of He's actually being exchanged for another prisoner, and as he walks across a very misty bridge, he sees Rick Yoon's handsome diamond-encrusted face coming back the other way. <laughs> he's a handsome man. Oh, um, they definitely set it up, make him think he's going to be executed, and they try to press him for some information, but Bond doesn't crack. Um, but that's not what the Americans believe. Yeah, uh, they're pretty sure he's giving us some information. He ends up getting put through the ringer here after a quick body scan by the MI6 doctors and a joke about his damaged liver from years of drinking. He gets a visit from M, the Judy Dench version, and nobody's happy. She tells him it was up to her. He'd still be in North Korean prison, but apparently the name of a top American agent who has since been killed came out of the prison that Bond was in, and since he's the only inmate, they logically assume that he had cracked and was giving out free info. He connects the dots in this immediately, though, figuring that whoever gave up his identity also gave up the American's identity just to get Zhao free. But M doesn't believe him and wants to send him for a more thorough evaluation at a mental health facility. So he fakes a heart attack and uses the ensuing commotion to break out. <laughs> I think she also strips him of his uh, MI status at this point as well, right? He's no longer... A double O? Yes. Yeah. So the cardiac arrest scene is pretty interesting. He's able to uh, sort of fake the monitor to go to a zero heart rate. He didn't look like he used technology or anything to do this. It seems like they're suggesting that he can control his heart rate all the way down <laughs> to zero. I mean, yeah, regardless, there's no way he should have been able to do this. Like, okay, the fake heart attack is one thing, but then there's minimal enough guards and security for him to just sneak out. And then he swims like God knows how far to Hong Kong. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I guess he was on a boat in the middle of the ocean and he just jumps off. And you're right. When he was swimming, I was wondering how far did he have to swim? I think we joked about this in a couple other movies we watched too. Whenever someone gets away and they've had to swim for kilometers and kilometers, it's just the biggest piece of shit ever. It is. 
And like it, to your point, if he legitimately lowered his heart rate down to almost zero, I'm sure that's physically taxing. <laughs> like to then go swim like the fucking English Channel, essentially. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So he he gets up uh, out of the water into Hong Kong. Yeah, where he quickly uses some old connections to get some new clothes, a shave, and assistance from Chinese intelligence to track down Zhao. Turns out he's in Cuba, and after arriving, Bond uses some more old connections to get a specific location. Turns out Zhao is at some sort of experimental medical clinic on an island close by, so Bond, armed with some binoculars and a bird-watching book, borrows a car, and away we go. <laughs> yeah, this all moves really fast. We're going yeah, location to location. We, we were in North Korea, and then we end up in Hong Kong, and very quickly we're in Cuba. I mean, this is what happens in Bond movies, right? We, we travel around the world, and that's one of the things that makes people enjoy them. He, he settles himself down in a hotel, in a hotel bar, across from the island that he needs to get to. Yeah, and to your point, this is moving really quickly. Just because we got to keep things moving here. The second he arrives on the island, he sees and hears a loudmouth British guy get his admittance papers to the clinic delivered by a member of the hotel staff. It's hard to get more convenient than that. Yeah, he, he was in the right place at the right time, for sure. So he, he has kind of figured out his in. As he's sort of looking at the island, though, what kind of gets introduced into the movie? Well, yeah, since all the time he thought he was going to have to spend trying to figure out a way into the clinic is free now, he uh, he got a little time to, you know, perv out and just decides to use his binoculars to scope out some ladies on the beach, specifically Halle Berry, who rises up out of the surf in slow motion. Speaking of things rising up, what would you think of the scene? Pretty good? <laughs> I, so... It's, it's funny, I asked my wife about this movie, and she had seen it before, and what she remembered most was the bathing suit that Halle Berry is wearing in this scene. She comes out in this very skimpy orange bikini. It's kind of athletic, though. Yeah. Um, and she's got a knife attached to her side, probably to fight underwater creatures, it seems. I believe this is one of the many homages in this movie to previous Bond films. There's a ton of like, Easter eggs in there. I believe this is an homage to the very first Bond movie and like the whoever the woman is who rises up out of the surf. Or maybe it's, I don't know, one of them. But it's a similar shot. It's a similar swimsuit even to one of them. It did um, seem kind of classic, so that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Now, Halle Berry's character, Jinx, Waste no time in engaging in some heavy flirting with James Bond. They go back and forth for a few minutes before he tells her the reason that he's on the island is bird watching. He's an ornithologist, see? And this causes her to pause, stare deep into his c*** and say, Ornithologist, huh? Wow. Now there's a mouthful. Uh, what's the opposite of innuendo? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, whatever it is, Brosnan isn't pulling any punches either. As he tells her, there aren't any owls on the island, so nothing to see until morning. Not out there anyway. Yeah, he, he's, <laughs> she asked him what the birds will be doing, the predators. Uh, they get into a lot of predator-prey conversation, and he says they're going to be feasting all night. They're so committed to this series of bird analogies, they carry it to its logical conclusion, and they're going to feast like there's no tomorrow by banging each other while also eating fruit. Yes, she... She pulls out a fig mid-coitus with a knife and cuts it and bites it and feeds it to him. I was a little... I was like, who brings a fig to bed? I don't know. <laughs> Apparently she does. I thought it was a kiwi or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, it was a fig. It God was funny. Damn. I was. It escalated fast, but it didn't have the kind of one-liner innuendo stuff that I thought. It was way more direct than yeah, I remembered. Yeah, it was so heavy-handed. There was no witty repartee. It was just like... It was like, we're just going in there. And yeah. I, I wondered if that was because of who it was, right? We've got Brosnan and Barry, and maybe they just can't pull that off in the same way. We're going to talk about this more later, but when this movie came out, they really pumped up the Halle Berry character as being like an equal to James Bond. Like, she's not going to be some like damsel in distress. She's going to be like a strong, like confident woman. And like, so I guess this is kind of the way of like her being equally aggressive, like sexually is not like, you know, 
She's not playing coy. She's going out there and engaging with him. I think that's part of the rationale behind this character. Oh, but it okay. just comes off like clunky for me. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. And the character throughout the movie definitely tries to hold its own. Yeah, tries Bond. is the key yeah. word there. Now, the next morning, it must come as a shocker. Bond wakes up alone. That's probably part of it, too. Through his window, he can see Halle Berry boarding a boat. But right now, it's time for him to put his plan into action by knocking out the loudmouth guy from the bar, sticking him in a wheelchair, and acting as his caregiver to get into the clinic. Now, is it my imagination, or is this dude knocked out for an unreasonable amount of time? Yeah, it was one punch from Bond, and he is definitely out for a good hour and a half. Dude, uh, wheelchair ride to the boat, boat ride, wheelchair ride into the clinic. He even sends the wheelchair rolling into a wall in order to distract some guards, and none of this wakes the dude up. From one punch. I mean, Bond just really knows his anatomy. He hit the exact right place on his <laughs> face to knock him out for that long. That's the only explanation that makes it plausible. It's the punch way. equivalent of him being in that bar right when the guy's talking yes, about exactly. it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> so coincidental. Oh. oh, God. Now that he's past those guards, he's free to roam the halls of the clinic. He quickly finds a secret passageway. Uh, here's a hint for anyone trying to design a secret passage. Maybe don't point a security camera right at the center of the wall. He very quickly finds a spot that he has to touch and open the walls. What blew me away about behind the secret passage is it was full of mirrors and disco balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was yeah, like, man. I was like, why the fuck is the secret passage also doubling as a 70s disco party? You can dance your way into the real clinic. That's you, the yeah. You had to, I think. There was also some sort of DNA-looking DNA helix. helixes yeah. uh, throughout there as well, but they were also shiny. So, yeah, they were definitely getting down as they were going over to that <laughs> gene therapy clinic. Yeah, man, and in this real clinic, this is where the freaky shit's happening. We get an idea of what that freaky shit is when Halle Berry's character meets with the doctor slash scientist in charge of all this. He's going to perform DNA replacement therapy on her, basically by erasing her DNA and then using the DNA of people who won't be missed to give her a new identity. So we can safely assume he's a murderer, and it sure seems like he's also going to molest her while this process is going on, doesn't it? Yeah, he comes over and gives her a bit of a shoulder rub. And when, yeah. whenever someone does that in a weird power relationship, you know something is wrong. If I was a woman or man in that case and someone came and did that to me, I would immediately walk out of that clinic because I knew I would be getting touched in a bad place. I was going to say, especially if you know you're about to be rendered unconscious chemically, like that's like he could not send clearer message. Yeah. I'm going to diddle you. That's what it is. Luckily, he won't get the chance to do any of this because she kills him. Bond, meanwhile, finds his old friend Zhao. He's in the middle of the DNA replacement process, so he's looking way less handsome. Uh, he's basically like an Asian powder. You ever see the movie Powder? <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, I have. Like, I have. I'm, I shouldn't laugh because, I mean, the guy from Powder is oh, here we go. completely hairless, right? And he's yeah. all white. And he does look like that. But what is interesting about him is he still has this, like, cool facial effect from the exploding diamonds. He's got diamonds in his face still. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, actually. There you go. Bond tries to question him, but he escapes after a close quarters fight scene. Turns out Jinx is after Zhao also. She even tries to shoot him, but he dodges the bullet. Seriously, <laughs> like he sees it coming and moves his head out of the way. Is Zhao getting his DNA replaced with a fucking superhero? It's like, what is this? Yep. That's it? That's I don't all, know if yeah. you knew that that was also, this is a crossover movie. Yeah, um, <laughs> it is It is funny. So they're both there. We're, we figured out that Halle Berry and Bond are both sort of agents on their way there. We assume Halle Berry is American. And they're both trying to take down Zhao. And then we get this chase scene where Halle Berry is after him and Bond is trying to get there too. 
Yeah, Bond blows a hole in the wall. The clinics try and continue the pursuit, but Zhao gets in a helicopter that quickly takes off. Bond isn't leaving empty-handed, though, because during the skirmish, he managed to grab the chain Zhao was wearing, which had what looked like a bullet hanging from it. Yeah, it had a casing for a bullet uh, hanging from it. I want to go back to Bond escaping from the clinic by blowing a hole in the wall. Do you remember how he did it? Uh, you with like an air tank. Like a he uses air oxygen tank. yeah. tanks. It was such bullshit. There was no way you're shooting the end off that and making this giant explosion. Like a torpedo. Yes. He created. Yeah. yeah. I mean. If Only we, going through the air, yes, not the water. If we nitpicked all of the Bond stuff, it would be insane. But this one was particularly bad for me. I was like, oh, my goodness. It wasn't pretty. Anyway, when Bond opens up this bullet casing, I guess, he finds diamonds inside. Not just any diamonds conflict diamonds like the kind we saw at the beginning of the movie these ones however are marked with an insignia gg his cuban contact tells him about gustav graves an extremely wealthy corporation owner who claimed to have discovered a large number of diamonds in iceland bond points out this is quite the coincidence and that man knows coincidences so it's time to go ask him some questions and where is gustav graves in london where mi6 and m are feeling some heat from their american counterparts in the nsa yeah this is interesting we're getting introduced to this gustav graves character we can tell he's going to sort of be the big bad for the rest of the movie turns out he's sort of a philanthropist as well as a businessman he finds all these diamonds and gives away half of the money to charity and this makes him very well liked in government and political circles yeah, what a great fucking move eh? that's yeah. a great way to get some heat off yourself uh, we then get two landings, both set to the sounds of London calling by the clash. The first is Bond's plane. The second is Gustav Graves jumping out of a plane and parachuting down in front of Buckingham Palace in a horde of waiting press. This dude is smooth. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he has the Union Jack on his parachute. He lands perfectly, drops the chute, and walks into a conversation with the press. Oh, yeah, man. He's about to get knighted. He kind of toys with the media, gives him some non-answers, even a delightful fencing pun. This might be the only part of this movie they got right. This is a good scene. It works really well. Yeah, man. Um, his publicist is there to kind of shut down the press, and she's going to become uh, a larger part of the story very quickly as well. And they head off to a fencing club. Yeah, uh, this fencing club, we very quickly get just like right into the face-to-face Bond and Graves like battle. But first we get a horribly gratuitous or maybe just horrible Madonna cameo. She plays the fencing instructor. And the, again, just the, the heavy-handed, she says to Brosnan, I see you handle your weapon well. I have been known to keep my tip up. It's just... <laughs> What are we doing here? <laughs> I mean, I feel like this movie has been lacking some of that innuendo. So I wasn't opposed to it showing up here, but it is over the top for sure. At this point, I started thinking about movies we've watched and I was like... Body of Evidence? Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> Madonna's back. Uh, Body of Evidence deserved rightfully to have one of our lowest, I think, one of my... I mean, it might even be my lowest score. Like, it's the worst movie that we've watched so far. It's pretty low. I should I know, know the answer to that, yeah. Um, but... Anytime Madonna pops up in a movie, you know that's not a good sign. We get it, Madonna. You like <laughs> Seriously, like that's, that's all it is, man. That's where we're going there. Um, this is Halle Berry's second time on the podcast, too. Yeah, it is. And man. there's starting to be a theme here for me with Halle Berry performances. Oh, come on now. Uh, as I mentioned, Bond is there to confront Graves. We get into a fencing match that just gets way out of hand. 
They end up ditching the fencing swords and pull out a couple of like thicker swords, going for first blood from the torso. But they end up trashing this place and at different points, swinging katanas and broadswords at each other. Yeah, I love that this devolved into a broadsword fight at the end where they are just trying to hack each other apart. Uh, luckily, it ends when the publicist jumps in to stop any further fighting. And we find out that Bond actually drew a little bit of torso blood. He did. He wins. As you mentioned, broken up by the publicist, that's Miranda Frost, who we learned at the beginning of this scene was an Olympic gold medal winner for fencing, but under somewhat shady circumstances. Yeah, it turns out that she actually got the silver, but the person who got first place went down for some steroid and other drug use charges. Yeah, now she ends up making arrangements for Bond to travel to Iceland as Graves has invited him to attend a scientific demonstration of a mysterious project called Icarus. Icarus is the, is it Greek or Roman? I have no fucking idea. Oh, so, don't know. Okay. <laughs> no, no, so Icarus is a character that has wax wings and yeah. flies too close to the sun and ends up falling and dying, right? That's so right. It's, it's interesting that they have named the project after this. Foreshadowing? Yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, one of the reporters actually at the palace asked about this too. Now, in addition to a trip to Iceland, one of the club's employees tells Bond that something was dropped off for him and it's a very old looking key. He recognizes it instantly and heads to an abandoned train station where M is waiting for him. She's suspicious of Graves, and based on his biography, she should be. Apparently, he only appeared a year ago, going from lowly engineer to wealthy philanthropist thanks to his discovery in Iceland. Yes, I, those air quotes there are pretty obvious in your voice, but it's funny. It's at this point where I'm like, with this identity transfer shit, anyone in this movie could be anyone else. Yeah, you piece that together quickly. Yeah, right? you're yeah. like, we really don't know who is who at this point, yep. um, but it's going to become really clear soon who is who. Yeah, um, Bond tells her about Cuba and the diamonds, and that's enough for her to officially put him on graves. But first, we get the obligatory Q scene. Uh, <laughs> this one with a little more comedy than usual, thanks to the jetpack from Thunderball and John Cleese flying solo in the Q roll. He hands her a new watch, your 20th, I believe. <laughs> I uh, love that they, they tell us that it's a 20th Bond film. I also love John Cleese as Q. I'm a huge Cleese fan, yeah. so anything he does makes me happy. He's good in the role. It's weird, though, because with them acknowledging the 20th movie, like, this has been the debate for years, is is there a series of James Bonds, or is it supposed to be one character? And at different points in the franchise, they kind of go both directions, right? There's sometimes where it's indicated that it's always the same guy, and other times indicated that there are different people involved, right? So this is one of the ones where it's like, he should be the same guy as all the others, but then that ends up getting kind of erased by the Daniel Craig stuff. It's, it's all, it's a fucking jumble. I wish someone would come along and just like sort this out for continuity's <laughs> sake but that's interesting i always assumed that it was the same bond so my understanding or the way that i perceive the movies is that they've picked a different actor but it's always the same person someone needs to clarify this i agree um he also gives him a ring with a high frequency sonic generator in it and best of all an invisible car it's the aston martin vanish this is fucking silly, but it's also pretty standard stuff here. No surprises from the James Bond franchise. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. They take that uh, Vanquish, Aston Martin Vanquish car and turn it into the Vanish. And the explanation about using tiny cameras that show you the other stuff is such bullshit. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. but it is fun in a movie to see those kind of toys and stuff. You know those are coming. Yeah. Now, what we maybe didn't know was coming, and is a bit of a surprise, is that Gustav Gray's publicist, Miranda Frost, works for MI6. As we learn from M, she specifically requested this assignment, but has turned up nothing, so it's Bond's turn. 
M basically warns her against sleeping with him, which good luck, ladies. James Bond movie. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, it's it's funny that uh she seems really determined not to have sex with him. Like she's very clear that she's gonna keep this professional. She wants nothing to do with Bond. That's what they all say. Yeah, well, we're gonna move on and talk about what happens later, but I was a little disappointed. I believe it. From there, we cut to Bond pulling up to some sort of ice palace in Iceland, where he witnesses Gustav Graves arrive in his rocket car after a particularly cringy line. I'm Mr. Kill. Well, there's a name to die for. This is so unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, the line is horrible. Seriously. Um, it's it's here that I'm starting to question when the name of the film is going to get dropped. Like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was kind of like, they're teasing us here. This is a tease towards the Die Another Day name. And, and I know that it's coming because I'm pretty sure in almost every Bond film, they drop the name of the movie. Yeah, they go back and forth a bit before Miss Frost shows him his room. It turns out this palace is actually made of ice. You know what will heat it up, though? Halle Berry, who has apparently also scored an invitation to this little party. <laughs> of course she has. She's the American Bond, and they need to be there together to try to take down Zhao and the sort of diamond money that's happening here. We know Graves is not above board, right? Those conflict diamonds and the other shit that's going on. Well, and we find out right now as the party starts, the big reveal, it turns out Gustav Graves is actually Colonel Moon, not dead at all, having undergone successful DNA replacement therapy. Well, kind of successful. Uh, it turns out he has permanent insomnia and has to use some kind of dream machine to stay sane. Speaking of machines, it's time for the demonstration. Turns out Icarus is a satellite that can harness or redirect sunlight to send it down to Earth, providing year-round light for crop development. Or, you know, act as a giant space laser to destroy your enemies. Either one. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of funny. Um, I'm liking this. I enjoy what Icarus is and the way that they've created this. Graves' moon kind of surprise is not a surprise at all. Right? No, like, no. <laughs> you saw that coming quite a while ago. The he They say repeatedly that he doesn't have to sleep. Right, and I guess that's what he clarifies with that one hour in the dream chamber thing. But it's kind of a weird inclusion for me. I didn't understand why that kept popping up. Yeah, I don't know either. I think it's just to justify like how successful he's become. You always hear about like really successful CEOs and stuff like, well, it's like they never sleep. They work twenty four hours a day. Like I think this is just them trying to kind of create character by using that. Uh, Bond figures something is up, so he tails some of Graves' guys' invisible car, but he lingers too long and sets off some alarms. Luckily, Miranda Frost is there to grab him and fool the guards with the whole kiss me thing. When I first saw this movie, I remember thinking that it was suspicious that she was suddenly ready to bone after showing absolutely zero interest in Bond up to this point. But I just kind of chalked it up to bad writing. Like, I was like, oh, you know, Bond always nails these women, of course. Like, flimsy two-dimensional character. I didn't actually think that she might end up being evil, which she is. Spoiler alert. Yeah, this is interesting. I was disappointed that they had sex because they built it up that she hadn't. The only reason that makes sense, though, and you're right in what they say, is because she is, in a way, trapping him, right? This is sex for trap. Yeah, and in, in, in Bond's defense, like, his instincts aren't much better than mine were in the scene, but like beautiful women do seem to just kind of fall into his lap all the time, like literally. So I guess it makes sense that he would think nothing of it. Either way, yeah, they head back to his room and they bang on a giant ice swan. <laughs> I laughed at that too. I thought it was hilarious that it was a swan-shaped bed that they had sex on. Absolutely. Meanwhile, Jinx achieves a different kind of penetration by breaking into Graves' secret lab. But, <laughs> but Zhao gets the drop oh. on her and chains her to a piece of mining equipment. So now, despite all the hype around her Jinx character breaking female stereotypes and being James Bond's equal, Halle Berry is stuck playing the damsel in distress. Yeah, she's getting tortured, um, and her comeback from it is to tell him your mama, 
which I thought was maybe not the best writing for her. There could have been something a little bit more creative. Well, luckily for her, instead of just shooting her in the head like Zhao wanted to, Mr. Kill decides to use the laser, only he doesn't just slice her in half. He sets it to very slowly move towards her. And not only that, <laughs> he walks away from the controls. This is literally the kind of shit they joked about in Austin Powers. Yeah, exactly. This is the most Bond thing I can think of. You're not going to just kill someone and get rid of them. You're going to set up an elaborate situation that slowly goes towards killing them. And of course, Bond is going yeah, to and just escape. walk away and assume that it all yeah. went to plan. Yeah. And of course, Jinx is going to escape from this. But who has to come help her escape? Well, you'll never believe it, but this backfires is that we end up with a laughable fight in between swirling lasers where after trying to kill James Bond with a hairpin, Mr. Kill is lasered through the skull thanks to an assist from Jinx. What a waste of a fucking character this guy was. Yeah, he did not get to achieve very much. He's just a name. This laser fight is kind of interesting or funny, but it doesn't come off very well. How did James get in there to save her, by the way? Because I thought that was kind of interesting. I have no fucking idea. He cut a hole in the ice and swam under the fucking ice. Wouldn't you have frozen to death under a fucking iceberg? Or He's got a wetsuit on, doesn't he? No. He's James Bond. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he, he, I mean, he, I, I guess if you can take your heartbeat down to zero and it doesn't matter without thinking, I guess you can control those kind of things. You can control your body temperature for sure. Oh, no problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. After quickly exchanging information, they split up. James tells Jinx to get Miranda since she's MI6. While he goes to tend to some unfinished business, he's figured out that Graves is really Colonel Moon and goes to confront him. And also, say the movie title. Yeah, this is where it happens. <laughs> Here it comes. Yes, indeed. Once Bond figures it out, what does he say? Fucking going to die another day. I don't know. So you live to die another day. There you go. Uh, we did it. Miranda shows up out of nowhere to help out, but Bond still isn't getting it. Colonel Moon asks, did you ever find out who betrayed you in North Korea? And Bond is like, not yet, but it's only a matter of time. And I'm just like, dude, <laughs> she's right beside you. Oh, we find out that sex is the coldest weapon of all. There you go. Oh, my God. That should be the fucking trailer for this movie. <laughs> uh, he figures this out eventually, though. Once she turns her gun on him and he finds out that his gun is empty, what with her having taken out the ammo after or while they were having sex? Yeah, he was distracted, so she was able to touch his piece without him noticing. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, wordplay. Delicious. Mm. She's been in Graves' pocket ever since the Olympics where, you guessed it, he killed the real gold medalist for fencing. Now, she tells Bond to hand over the gadgets, and he does, but just to show that he's unflappable, even in these dire circumstances, he makes another joke at Zhao's expense. You know, I've missed your sparkling personality. Uh, Zhao punches him as hard as he can in the stomach and says, how's that for a punchline? And you know what? Good for you, Zhao. Because at this point, I want to punch Bond too. These are some shitty one-liners. Yeah, I'm at this point really feeling like the one-liners and the sexual innuendo are really light in this movie. Like, it's really lacking some of the uh, really good one-liners in action that sort of carry most of the, the weight. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Anyway, they're about to kill him, but he's got two things working in his favor. One, Miranda didn't know about the sonic ring. I guess it's like a new gadget or something. And two, they happen to be standing on a glass floor. Now, you know where this is going. He breaks the floor and he's off with Miranda and Zhao unsuccessfully shooting at him as he escapes. There's so many impossible missed shots during this scene. I mean, we know that that's Bond's MO. You cannot hit him. But it, it's bullshit that he does not go down here. You know what's even worse? He runs to a fucking rocket car to escape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. He ends up jumping in Graves' rocket car and taking off. And Graves decides that this is the perfect opportunity to show off the true power of Icarus. He activates the giant laser and Bond ends up having to ride it off a cliff using a grappling hook to keep it from plunging down into the icy waters below. This is a temporary stall, obviously. So after a terrible one-liner from Graves, 
time to draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> he cuts a line through oh the ice. Oh, God, man, yeah. Oh. Bond has to jump out of the dangling car armed with only the parachute used for braking and one of the car's metal panels. And this, this is where the movie truly goes past the point of redemption for me. He ends up surfing on a giant wave caused by the cliff collapsing, using the metal panel as a surfboard and the parachute to steer himself. And by he, I mean the clearly CG Bond. (laughs) This is the most absurd scene in this entire movie. I probably already said that like three times in this podcast, but this is fucked up. There is no way Pierce Brosnan would have survived even that fall, let alone been able to surf in this absurdly amazing way. You're right. It's CG. It's bullshit. This is insane. Well, you don't know the history behind this either, do you? No. This is the first time in 20 James Bond movies that a stunt was not performed by a real-life stuntman. What? Because how could it be? But why would they do that? Why would they make this decision to include this as a scene? Because it is maybe the scene that most requires the movie to be on our podcast. Oh, dude, so much about this is just complete shit. It looks like shit, first of all, because we're still in the phase of early CG where you can't make like CG animated characters move like humans move. This is just awful. And that's where for me, I'm like, this is it. This is the movie has gone. It was already bad. It's gone so far off the rails at this point that I'm just like, fuck it. This is terrible. It took 20 bonds for them to do this and it was unnecessary. They should have left it alone. Yeah. They should have left it alone. Buddy escapes. Uh, Jinx isn't so lucky though. They're onto her and they've trapped her in Bond's room where she will presumably die after they melt the ice palace. (laughs) This is another, let's not kill her, but leave her to die scene or scenario, right? Instead of just murdering her, we're going to lock her in an icy palace and melt it with our giant space laser. And that means that she'll need to be rescued again. So Bond jumps into his invisible car and I was just about to be like, how has no one found this yet? Like, sure, it's invisible, but no one, like, walked into it or whatever when uh, right then a guy who was on a snowmobile smashes into it. Yeah. Um, before he gets to his car, though, he surfs his way onto shore and conveniently a person on a snowmobile rides past him that he takes out. Like, just the circumstances in this for him to get back successfully are just so stupid. He's the luckiest man in the world. Oh, my goodness. So he rides a snowmobile back, gets in his car, and then, of course, the snowmobile crashes into his car. Right then, yeah. Yeah, at that very moment. Yep. At that exact moment, Zhao sees it, and we've got a ludicrous car chase on the fucking ice. I actually enjoyed the fact that Zhao had his own absurd, awesome car. From the Fast and the Furious movie. (laughs) Ricky, you just drove around the lot. I was like, guys, can we use this? Can I'm we like, try yeah. this again? So they, they make it the Aston Martin versus Jaguar fight. I actually enjoyed this scene. I don't want to give this scene any credit. Uh, wow, really? Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was Bond, uh, like, this was Bond-esque and it worked well. Oh, but it's ludicrous. They're out on fucking ice. It's all ludicrous. Every well, Bond movie <laughs> is just full of bullshit. Okay, and this is, be- this is too ludicrous. This is, they've gone too far. Whatever, it's fine. Uh, I will I will say... There is actually a cool moment here where Bond's car gets flipped upside down. So he opens the car's sunroof and activates the ejector seat to flip the car right side up just as Zhao launches a missile at it. And again, yeah, this is all ludicrous, but I do like his problem-solving skills. Yeah. I'm upside down. What do I do? (laughs) You mentioned the ejector seat. Hit it. Let's do it. Um, So while this car chase is going on, and it's going on for quite a long time, they're, they're fighting each other on top of the ice. Icarus is starting to melt the ice castle that Halle Berry is trapped in. 
Oh, yeah. So Bond's got to take a quick detour to save Jinx and also kill Zhao. He ends up faking him out by turning the car invisible and then backing up right when Zhao is about to ram him, which causes Zhao to drive through a wall and into some water. Then he drops a chandelier on him. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it was interesting that it was the chandelier that took out Diamond Boy. Yeah. I thought that there was a kind of funny in a way. All throughout this, Halle Berry is starting to drown, right? Her room oh, is yeah. filling up with freezing water, and her performance at this section is really bad. It's not great. It's so bad. It's unbelievable. This is where I'm starting to think, is Halle Berry becoming a bad movies and beer staple? Like, we don't, oh, we don't have a Hall of Fame or a list of shame or anything like that yet. It'd be a Hall of Shame, yeah. She's starting to shape up to maybe be the first face on that wall. She is an Oscar winner, though. Yes, she is for Monsters ball very different i don't think halle berry can perform in sort of a action superhero or i don't know danger like she can't play where she is in danger or under threat i just assume we kept watching movies with her because you like her cans <laughs> <laughs> i thought i've defended myself yeah, you keep being like hey Coop, why don't, why don't we watch another halle berry uh, movie i thought i've defended myself halle on berry. this podcast lots of times we know that i'm not a cans man that's <laughs> <laughs> oh god damn it yeah, when he gets to her, she's nearly dead. The room that she's in is filled up with water from the melting ice. But, like, I was confused about this, because wouldn't the roof melt first? It's blasting the roof. Why is the water rising from the bottom? Why didn't it collapse on her? Why was only the room she was in full of water and not the other rooms that the cars were driving around in? I mean, you see water coming in the walls and stuff. I'm not going to defend this. What am I doing? Yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah. Anyway, he grabs her, jumps in a vat of warm water with her, and does some incredibly shitty CPR to bring her back to life. <laughs> I actually wrote notes on this. I was like, this is the worst CPR I've ever seen it's in my sloppy. life. Yeah, yeah. I was. There's no way anything that he did to her would have helped bring her back. The only smart decision was yes she was in freezing water so he tried to warm up her body by bringing her into a sort of hot water spring that yeah. made sense do you remember what Ali berry says to him after she sort of wakes up i do not is it bad what took you so long that was it that was the best they could muster up upon her wake up i don't know man i mean they've made so many missteps with this character this is a revolutionary character i don't even know anymore it's just they really needed to do more, right? Like, I like the idea that you're saying where they wanted to have a female equal. It's I all talk, though. It, they, they don't go through with the action in the movie. No, exactly. I love that idea. They really needed to fucking do this better. Put Bond in jeopardy, have her save him. Yeah. Then you're doing something different, yeah. I mean, she kind of does that once, right? But almost the entire movie is him saving her. Oh, for sure. It's time for a status report as the Americans and MI6 share some information and also some subtle digs at each other. And we learn that Graves is in a North Korean air base. He's going to use Icarus to destroy all the landmines separating North and South Korea, which will allow him to attack the South. So they launch Bond and Jinx in on some kind of personal gliders that can't be detected on radar. These things were interesting. Yeah, they were hilarious. They, I think they called them like switchblades. And they look like little planes that you can ride on or glide on. Uh, before you parachute down. And so they go in under radar and get into North Korea. Yeah, and after an unsuccessful sniping attempt, Bond and Jinx end up having to sneak onto Graves' plane. We get an awkward family reunion between Graves and his father, followed by Icarus decimating the minefield while Graves steers it in his robot suit. This fucking suit is completely unnecessary. It's only there so that he can use a 10,000-volt defense mechanism in his fight with Bond. It's funny, right? He complains about the controls for Icarus earlier in the movie, right? It, it was sort of like a suitcase that you open up and then push buttons on. He said he wanted it to be more 
I'm going to say extra. He wanted it to be extra. And yeah. this is what the person created for him was a suit that could control Icarus. And you're right. It does help in the fight with Bond where he has that electrical signal going through his hand for sure. Well, I guess he also uses it to disarm his father who he then kills, which is followed quickly by Bond attempting to shoot him. I say attempting because a guard hits Bond's arm and the bullet goes through a window, which of course creates a vacuum that sucks almost everybody out. I fucking hate this. Oh, yeah? <laughs> this shit is bullshit. Anytime a decompression scene happens where a bullet blows out a window and everyone gets sucked out, it's just fucking so dumb. And of course, the only people who are able to hang on, who is it? Oh, it's Bond and Graves. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and now we get dual fight scenes. One between the two of them and one between Miranda Frost and Jinx. It's a sword fight, which Jinx has absolutely no business winning, and yet she does. Um, I wanted to come back here. It's hilarious. Frost comes out, and of course, they've changed her out of regular clothing into Bond villain clothing. She's straight up in like a sexy fencer outfit, and she has a knife to Halle Berry's throat, and they have a sword fight. And like you said... Halle Berry wins this. Yeah, she stabs Miranda in the heart with a knife that had previously been plunged into a copy of The Art of War. And I'm 99% sure that was all just meant to set up this line. I can read your every move. Read this, bitch. <laughs> Again, the lines they're giving Barry are so straightforward. There is no like sophistication at all. There's no Bond humor in it. It is just like straight up. This is what they feel about Americans. Or is this what they feel about Halle Berry? I'm not sure. But. Could be a little bit of both. I don't know. Meanwhile, in the other section of the plane, Graves has Bond on the ropes, but he makes the classic mistake of taunting Bond instead of just winning. And he gets in real close to do it, which allows Bond to pull his parachute, which then sucks him out the open window and into one of the plane's engines. Ouch. Yeah, so you're right. Bond should be dead, but instead, the gloat from Graves. I mean, hubris is always the thing that takes down the Bond villains. And that suck into the engine was pretty awful and good. Like, I, I enjoyed... <laughs> awful and good? Yeah, I mean, it would be awful to go that way, but I enjoyed that. Um, but you've just sucked someone through the engine of the plane. Things are going to get bad. Oh, yeah, the bad guys are dead, but the plane has been severely damaged by Icarus and the aforementioned Graves going through the jet engine. So uh, it's going to crash, or as Jinx puts it, looks like we're going down together. So they're just, man, never too late. The situation um, never too dire so for innuendo. I, I had complained a lot already in this podcast about the lack of innuendo, and I felt like the way this line was delivered was not sexual, right? Like, it was thrown in there, but there was no... Like, when you throw an innuendo line in there, there's a bit in your voice. You hear it, and it was not in this one. Ah, uh, but wait, though, because in just a few minutes... This plane is also carrying a helicopter, uh, luckily. So they just get in that, slide out the back, and the propellers activate just before it was going to smash into the ground. And that's when Bond says, Now, you said something about going down together? <laughs> They're going to 69. <laughs> that's the joke you know that's the joke the last three minutes of the movie oh, are dude. just a hundred percent innuendo well i was gonna say things get sexual real fast because the next scene we see is money penny working late at the mi6 offices when james bond shows up and finally makes a move on her but it turns out she's just masturbating with q's vr training glasses <laughs> 
<laughs> She's rubbing one out. I know. It was pretty funny. I was like, why is James Bond having sex with Money Penny? And then when we find out she was using the masturbation glasses, I thought it was pretty funny. I don't think they're designed for masturbation. I think she's just, they're training glasses. For, we see the virtual reality training thing from Q earlier in the movie, but she's using them for purely sexual purposes. Apparently they can work this way. It's like the Star Trek simulator thing. Okay, right? I'm confused about this because, yeah, but that's what I mean though. If, who's steering these glasses? A training simulation where there's like terrorists with guns, you program that in. Does it just work on the person's mind? Yeah. Is she able to just imagine whatever she wants and just see it? These are brain glasses. You just start thinking about what the training is you need and it happens. And if that training Boom, you're directing your own sexual, porno. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. that's it. That's fine. God damn. Yeah. Well, as if that wasn't enough innuendo in sexuality, we see the helicopter parked outside of a hut and hear Halle Berry's character say, wait, don't pull it out. I'm not finished with it yet. Now, amazingly, it is not James Bond's c- but rather a diamond that she really, really wants him to leave in her belly button. She they're, all, just, they're just looking for reasons at this point. Yeah, I had complained for a while about all this, and they just dump it on me right here. They're they're having sex in a hut with all the diamonds underneath them. They are just f***ing in a bed of diamonds. And Would yeah, you, Wouldn't that be painful? They're I, fucking sharp. Yeah, they're I hard. Would, I wouldn't think that would be very great either. You're right. Um, but she does say leave it in. She also says it's the perfect fit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they're throwing all of those innuendos out at us right now. And that's pretty much it. That's it for the movie. It ends f***ing in a hut. Yeah. Uh, after, on one or, after one or two more bits of semi-witty repartee, we get the credits and some sort of remix of the shitty theme song. God damn, man. This is really bad. <laughs> it, yeah. The ending did not do it for me. Yeah, man. And that's like, I guess we can just fucking give it our ratings now because we're at the end and there's nothing really else to say. You know, we always do this on a scale of 1 to 10. We do it twice, 1 to 10 for how bad, 1 to 10 for how enjoyable, and the goal is to find movies that are 10 out of 10 on both scales, or as we call it, the Crit 20. And this is not 10 out of 10 bad for me, but, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, I think this is a worse movie than Moonraker. There are parts of this that are wildly illogical. The CG thing goes against what the whole franchise is about, the performances, the the writing, just the writing of this, the innuendo that is not even innuendo. It's they're slapping you in the face. It's like overt sexuality. The whole promised Halle Berry equal to Bond thing and she's just another girl in trouble that he has to rescue. I think this is real bad. I can't believe I'm saying this. I gave Moonraker a seven. I'm giving this an eight. Maybe the worst Bond movie. What do you think? You're fucking drunk. This beer is getting to you. This is not worse than Moonraker. I don't know, dude. I don't remember what I gave Moonraker on a bad rating, but if you remember any of the space scenes from Moonraker, they are fucking atrocious. This, to me, is a Bond movie. It doesn't come off well, but I did still find it fast-paced, and I enjoyed it. We're going to go into the bad, though, right now. The acting sucks. The fucking writing is horrible. The plot, it's bullshit. And now that I know about the Halle Berry thing and the first CG, that's even worse, right? I, I often write down two scores, and based on our conversation, we'll pick one of them. And I'm going to go with the worst of the two scores I said based on what we're talking about. I'm not way off from you, but I, this is a seven bad for me. Okay, that is less bad than you gave Moonraker. You gave Moonraker a nine, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Moonraker was fucking awful, man. I still think this is worse in a lot of ways. I don't think so. I think that... This held me a lot better um, in terms of my engagement. I liked a lot of the Car and Zhao, Zhao Bond fight scenes. So what's your enjoyable rating then if you enjoyed all these parts of it? Yeah, so my good, um, there was I laughed at a lot of shit, probably more shit than I was supposed to. I did like the pacing. I liked the Bond toys or things that they used that kind of made sense. 
I did not dislike the Halle Berry scene. <laughs> I knew it. Um, <laughs> for her acting is why I didn't dislike them. Oh, guess, of right? course. Yeah, you know. yeah, you just read it for um, the articles. I understand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I gave this an, an eight enjoyable. God damn. Are you serious? Yeah, I enjoyed it. That's so high. Yeah. I gave it a six. <laughs> this movie was bad, man. No, I just found myself like watching this being constantly disappointed they're supposed to be here honoring the Bond franchise, but so much of the stuff they're doing is just, they've, they've gone too far. They've gone too far past the realm of plausibility. And I, I know the other ones aren't plausible either, but like, this is absurd. The fact that you have to bring in CG because you've made a stunt so elaborate that a guy can't fucking do it. People swapping DNA. Yep, like, it's bad, man. This is a real bad movie. I did not enjoy watching it. The fucking theme song. <laughs> It's I didn't, terrible. I didn't downgrade it for the theme song at all. Why did they give Madonna so much free reign here? She's in the fucking movie. She shouldn't be in the movie. Her scene is completely unnecessary. Do you think she said to provide the theme song that they had to put a, a slot in there for her? She probably was like, if you want me to make the theme, you're putting me in the movie. Or they were just like, she's a major celebrity. We'll give her a cameo. Everyone will love it. We wouldn't love it. Her acting's terrible. She's not a good actress. No, she. as we were talking about our Hall of Shame, she definitely has the potential to be our say, first. You put her in there, there before Halle Berry. Come yeah, on now. Good Lord. She's definitely got the potential to be number one on that wall. No, Eyeless was a huge piece of shit. Like, the Brosnan Bond movies are so bad. GoldenEye's good, and the rest of them are fucking hot trash. Maybe I just have a really big heart on for GoldenEye, so it sort of carries for well, me. Well, you love Brosnan, too. The last time Pierce Brosnan showed up, we did Mars Attacks last season, you were just like, oh, Pierce Brosnan, ah. Oh. Although I will admit, in this movie, I felt he was kind of old. Ah, oh, this is where the Bonds have a shelf yeah. life. Every time his shirt came off or they would, like, show him, I was like, his body's approaching mine, and that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> He's no Rick Yoon, that's for sure. Yeah, no. Yeah. I have to say, though, by far the most surprising part about this experience for me is this beer that we drank today. This double IPA from New Ritual was pretty enjoyable. I drank yeah. it real fast. I love this. Don't Die Here was great. Um, I've had their Strange Proverbs IPA, and it was really easy to drink. They seem to sort of be more on the citrusy side, so they kind of are lighter. They don't have a really strong bitter finish. This would be a very dangerous beer. I think that's why it's called Don't Die Here, because if you bought a six-pack of this, you could finish it, and you'd be laying in a gutter afterwards. Dude, yeah, yeah. I crushed that first one while we were uh, while we were recording here, and then, like, you, if you hear the quality of what I'm saying going downhill, this is the reason why. 8%, but I just crushed that. Fucking, we're on to, like, beer two here. Like, this is just, it's, it's real smooth. I feel like you've had a couple gateway IPAs over the season that we've done this together, and this is the kind of thing that's going to pull you into the IPA fold. Well, I mean, when we did our top five beers from season one, people were fucking shocked that I had the Big Rig uh, Alpha Bomb on there, but it was, again, very drinkable, and that's the key for me. Like, I don't like the really hoppy flavor, so if it's smooth, if it's crushable, and if it's not slapping you in the face with fucking hops... Like, I'm going to enjoy it. And this was very enjoyable. And I'm, again, I'm, every time it happens, I'm stunned. I think what you don't like is the aftertaste. Well, that's it. Yeah. Right. And so I think there's a couple other IPAs we have planned this season that you're going to be pleasantly surprised that have a similar finish. And I'm looking forward to you drinking those. Well, uh, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Speaking of later this season, next week, we are overdue. We've not done a single horror movie yet this season. And we got to fucking fire off a horror movie. So next week, we're going to watch the movie called Happy Birthday to Me. Because you and I both have birthdays in October and next week's episode kind of falls in between the two of them. So we're going to have a little birthday celebration. 
what we're going to do is we're going to watch the movie. We're going to drink a vaguely birthday-themed beer. It's not a great connection, but whatever. Some yeah, of them are I think it's pretty good. Fun. It's a good birthday beer. And most importantly, we are going to do a little exchange for birthdays. So what's going to happen is I am going to be uh, gifting you a movie that you are going to have to find a beer for for us to put on the podcast. You are going to gift me a beer that I have to find a movie for. This is going to fuel two future episodes. And I'm very excited to see kind of what you bring to the table here because the movie I have for you is going to be fucking incredible. <laughs> I can't wait to see your reaction. You know, we talked about this before and I am so excited about this. This is really fun. I love gift giving. This is like, okay. this is this is kind of what, I, I love seeing people's reactions when you give them something. I like it more than getting gifts, in fact. And so I'm excited to see what your reaction is to the beer that I have chosen for you. That'll be part one. Then part two will be, what can I find to go with it? Oh, so yeah. this is going to be. It's going to be fun. I love the challenge of finding a beer to match this movie. Um, and I look forward to it. And that's going to be next week. So we'll do our little birthday exchange. We'll watch a horror movie. Happy birthday to us. Well, that's what the movie's called. It's called Happy Birthday to Me, but we'll, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's for us. It's good. I like it. I, I miss watching horror movies. It's been a while. Um, too long. Yeah. Too long. So uh, please come join us next week. Thank you so much for listening this week. Uh, if you have not already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the BMB Podcast. If you have any suggestions for beer or movies, uh, send them to the DMs on our social media or send an email, the BMB Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we actually got a couple of requests coming up uh, later on this month. And also in uh, early November, we'll have another one. So, uh, you know, throw us some suggestions. We always love to hear from you guys. But that'll do it for this week. Until next time, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you back here next week on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it melty. Live for today, fight for tomorrow, die another day. <laughs> <laughs>